mutual aid is the basis for individual autonomy. And one of the efforts of crypto in a lot of ways is trying to build tools that help us help each other. This is just one of the many quotes I could have pulled from my conversation with Vivek Singh, co-founder of Gitcoin and steward of Kernel. Gitcoin is one of the most successful and fascinating Web3 community that helps fund and find funding for public goods. A sort of Kickstarter for entrepreneurs and Web3 projects that are looking for funding. The reason I wanted Vivek to be our first guest for this new chapter of CryptoZ is because Kernel and Gitcoin are the first communities to have helped and supported CryptoZ. And I hope that through this conversation, you'll get a better sense of where we're going and what we're trying to achieve. Not only with CryptoZ and our mission for our members, but our mission as a community within the broader landscape of other communities. In the first half, we'll dive deeper into his backstory and where he was before Web3, because I just think it's always super interesting. In the second half, we'll dive much deeper into the concepts and the thoughts behind Kernel and why it's so relevant to us now. So let's just dive into it. Thank you, Vivek. Welcome to CryptoZ. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Adrian. I'm super excited to have you because Kernel was really my first step into Web3. And of course, you know a lot about CryptoZ and, and you know, the things we're doing and made a lot of decisions. Uh, and I think Kernel has been a place that allowed me to make those decisions. So I feel very grateful for it. Uh, super grateful for all the mentors and advisors I've been able to uh, meet and talk about CryptoZ and maybe realize uh, I wasn't the only one to be completely insane. And being able to meet dozens of other entrepreneurs or dreamers was really transformative. I know you're personally meeting and leading interviews for thousands and thousands of applicants. And so you're really sitting in a special place to be able to talk about what's happening uh, in Web3. And that's why I wanted you to be the first guest of this new chapter of CryptoZ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a joy to spend time with you and explore what CryptoZ already was prior to Kernel and the ways that we could continue playing the game in interesting ways. So thank you. Thank you for that. So to most of us, I think Web3 is a bit like walking in the Amazon with uh, blindfolds on, you know, kind of looking for uh, the city of Z or something. Uh, and so it's not necessarily like an obvious uh, path to choose. I'm just really curious to first how you kind of discovered about Web3, but also like what led you to it maybe prior to um, prior to that. Sure, sure, sure. Gladly. And um, it's an honor to be the first guest here. Uh, and it's important to me that I start with a name of a person who had a really, really big impact on me and Colonel. Uh, and the name of that man was Britt Harris. Uh, Britt is still with us and is uh, one of kind of the people in my life that outside of my family has, has made the most impact on my life. And it was because of a program I was in in university in my senior semester called Titans of Investing. Um, which, which university? I'm curious. 
Yeah, this was in Texas. So I grew up in Houston and University, Texas A&M was only an hour and a half outside of Houston. Really, really large university known for its engineering school more so than its finance school. But there was kind of a pretty tight knit finance program and people who thought that they were on you know, the hotshot path of finance and uh-huh. fashioned myself as one of those people and took the trip to New York City to try to get a job at an investment bank and meet the people who are moving and shaking things in the traditional financial system. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning. Um, the trip and the journey in Texas A&M was one where if you were in the finance school, you really couldn't help but hear about this program called Titans that was run by this right. alumnus named Britt Harris, who on paper was this incredibly interesting individual. He, prior to starting Titans, had been the CEO of Bridgewater Associates, which for people who come from a finance world will know is the world's largest hedge fund. Uh, prior to that, he had been the CIO of Verizon, managing in many different environments hundreds of billions of dollars. And uh, he had actually come back to Texas at the time and had a sense that he was also still doing things in finance, running a fund at the time called Texas Teachers Retirement System, which is a $100 billion pension fund where the funds that are invested are on behalf of the public school teachers of Texas. Mm-hmm. And you know, now he's, he's kind of still doing things in the Texas investing world, but is kind of globally renowned as one of the world's top 50 investors. And this is all enough for somebody who is bright-eyed, bushy-tailed to say, okay, I need to figure out how to get into this Titans thing so I can further my career. Um, right. And it, it turns out it's like not an easy process. Uh, I had to get like nine or 10 <laughs> recommendations from people who had been in Titans before, which was kind of a oh, wow. easy thing to have to pull together. Um, but I had known some people and I had, you know, been poking around and long story short, I, I managed to sneak my way in and immediately upon entrance, you got a sense that this was not exactly what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> this character, Britt Harris, you know, definitely knew a lot about finance and was going to share that with us. But the first thing that he did was say that nothing that I teach you here will matter more than the people that you meet who are your peers and the ways that your relationships grow over the next eight to 10 weeks that we have together. And the people in this room are not all finance students. We have a gold medal Olympian who's one of the best swimmers at our university. There are some of the top engineers in the school. There are some of the people from the finance department. There are people from six or seven different countries. So this was kind of like a striking starting point. But, you know, he also was very, very good at what he did. He has to know a lot about not only finance, but just the history of the markets, um, what geopolitical reasons things evolved the way they did, what historical reasons, what uh, models from psychology might be meaningful to to that study. So this finance course was one where his genius in this multidisciplinary way was was very much on display. Um, but those finance lessons were coupled every week with a personal lesson. And these lessons were much more surprising to somebody who came in, you know, thinking about it much more as a top-notch finance program. He asked questions like, how do you make decisions? How do you choose who to love? And in that one specifically, he had people bring their significant others and he brought his wife of 40 years and we had a 
conversation at his home uh, about that over dinner, about their 40 year marriage, the way that that had, had transpired, the way that that had become a really important part of not only his own life, but everyone in his community's life. And he shared stories like that. And it was, it was life changing over time. You know, we threw as many classes as dinners, as many dinners as random outings, like a trip to play golf with everyone in Titans, a trip to the swimming pool to learn from this gold medal Olympian, Bria Larson, uh, and two other incredible swimmers on the Texas A&M team from France and Sweden. Uh, you know, we, we just kind of like took the strengths of the people that were in this program and used them to create as enjoyable of an eight weeks as possible because we knew that was really the goal was how can that happen? And by the end of the program, yes, I had met people who now I look at these people and they're, they've gone on to do incredible things in their specific domains. But also um, I've been to three of their weddings and I've gotten to stay in touch with them about their personal lives and know who their families are and how they have grown and how they continue to grow. And there's something immeasurable about those relationships that goes beyond anything else that, that could have been explored. And that was what was so surprising. Britt uh, being so incredibly technically adept at his profession, and yet still that coming secondary to a lot of these other values that came through through the actions uh, around the course. I'll give some other color because you asked. You know, it's like every week we would get together and read about 100 pages worth of content. Um, and every class, our preparation was about 100 pages of read materials of some of the world's classic, both business and life books. So for example, the first week was uh, a brief of Moby Dick, uh, of course, a mm. classic story um, that is worth reading in its full length, but uh, the brief was, was what we had, and a brief of John D. Rockefeller's life. And these two books uh, made up a, a set of things that, that were being collected in the Titans ecosystem called these Titans briefs, where basically every semester, the only job of you in Titans was to read a book that was assigned to you and to uh, write a 10-page brief outlining what it was that uh, that brief meant to you. And so there had been 18 groups of Titans before me, there had been 300 briefs that had been written, and those were some of the pre-reads that we took on uh, that allowed us to enter into conversation that was both finance-oriented and could get very deep into that topic, but also get us beyond finance. And that's something that we definitely took a lot of inspiration from with the kernel syllabus and having every week a, a web three lesson and every week a personal lesson so that these things could be interwoven in ways that tied to these characteristics of wisdom that have to be cultivated and not necessarily you know, taught. Uh, and we definitely don't think of ourselves as teachers of wisdom, but rather hopefully a container in which wisdom can be shared and explored. He was actually, he came to Kernel. He was one of the highlights of my of my journey in Kernel uh, and came for an hour of his time, which I'm, I'm sure is, must be really hard to get him for that long. And this is the kind of level of mentorship that you would find uh, at Kernel. 
um, also in in with Web three mentors and and people from all walks of life, and I'm just constantly amazed by the quality of the human being, both the fellows, but also the quality of the mentors. And there are like I don't know, maybe like a hundred mentors on um, that you're able to sort of introduce to us in a way. I don't know, in in such a slim, seamless way and magical. You make it look really easy. It's it's one of these things where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you know, Brit came because he knew that the way I described Colonel was the caliber of these people resembles the caliber of people that um, have spent time in Titans. And the funny story there was that Brit actually had a meeting with the New York Federal Reserve that was the reason yeah. we had to move our meeting up by an hour because... You know, there were, a, a, I guess, some important things that couldn't be moved. Um, but yeah, the response as well from these mentors who deserve a lot of credit for for coming and showing up and spending time. Um, I I know how much energy they derive from spending time with, with people like you and with things like CryptoZ that allow them to change their perception of what is possible with this technology that we're all co-creating and all exploring and There's a lot of room for artistic expression. And I think that there's a sense that there's mutual benefit and mutual aid to be found in a context like Chrome. So I really got the the Titan program as uh, a sort of model model for Kernel. Although Kernel is a lot broader and I think your mission is 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 a lot broader. I still missing the Web3 part because as far as I, you went out of Titan, you could still be in the finance world, not even know about Web3. It's true. From Titans, I graduated in and as a finance major and I um, spent a few years in consulting before moving to San Francisco, um, which was a concerted effort to find myself in the world of technology. This was around 2017. And in 2017, September, I had joined a, a startup uh, that had kind of graciously taken me on after some cold emails. Uh, it was a it was a company called Finn, uh, which was run by uh, two people who I hold in high esteem, Sam Lesson and Andrew Cortina. Sam had been the VP of product at Facebook at a previous juncture, and Andrew Cortina had co-founded Venmo. Cortina had had a big impact on me. His blog now has made its way into the kernel syllabus, and um, I had started to learn the ways of well-functioning technology organizations ran, especially at formative stages. And it was the first time that I heard the word Ethereum. Um, having heard <laughs> Bitcoin before, um, I kind of heard the word Ethereum in, again, September, October 2017. And one of the first and most striking things that really opened my mind was that these networks were being built open source. That really caught my attention because I had been thinking about how at Finn and also in general in technology companies, there had become this model of, you know, you build a data set that is your own and you find ways to leverage it in interesting ways. But quickly, the game becomes a game that gets out of hand and you at some point are the arbiter of the interfaces and the controller of this information. But no one else can decide and the responsibility becomes a burden that even the companies might not want to take. This was something that in that time period, 
uh, was a part of the buzz in Silicon Valley was talking about data privacy and the ways that it was clear that Facebook was starting to fail. And um, long story short, this open source element of Ethereum immediately captured my attention as, wait, this is different. This is a different context for information and the dissemination of it. And that was enough to peel back the rabbit hole. Um, I went to a couple of hackathons and one that I called ETH Waterloo, which happened at the University of Waterloo, an incredible university in Canada, right outside of Toronto, really great engineering culture. And you know, kind of like immediately without knowing it, found myself in the middle of the Ethereum world. Uh, Vitalik was there, uh, the creators of MetaMask, Dan Finlay and a few others were there. There was this project called Consensus that seemed to be involved in a lot of Ethereum stuff. They were everywhere. And there was all these incredible wow. hackers who were at the event who were kind of just like me, had flown in to, to be there. Heath Goldblatt had done a great job in helping fund people's flights for people who perhaps um, didn't have the means. And a lot of people ended up there and were kind of just there for the weekend to learn and explore. CryptoKitties launches that weekend. I remember going to get... Uh, like a banana and something to eat at the hackathon and <laughs> some guy giving me a Pokemon card with a crypto kitty on it and saying, Hey, <laughs> use this QR code. And I was like, okay, that sounds okay. I'll try that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try to wrap it up by saying that uh, I met Kevin Owaki from Gitcoin that weekend. He had actually already built the MVP for Gitcoin and his primary mission stated was to grow open source software. Um, and this obviously resonated quite a bit. I ended up after the event staying in touch and within the next two months joined to be one of the first people who joined Kevin. Uh, there was kind of three of us total who ended up being co-founders with Kevin, deserving a lot of the credit for getting it off the ground, but us coming in at that 2017, 2018 timeframe and uh, leading it uh, towards what it has become. And the kernel story is kind of something that fits in there. Um, I'm happy to kind of continue on, but if you have any questions. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to give some context around Gitcoin and its mission, uh, its positivity and its conscious for climate change and the whole Web3 ethos of um, living more egalitarian lives and and that kind of thing. So would you could you just summarize a little bit what Gitcoin is? Yeah, yeah, sure thing, sure thing. So Gitcoin today is probably best known as a platform where you can fund and find funding for public goods. And public goods can be defined broadly as a set of things that are free to access, that everyone benefits from, and that no private corporation owns. There's probably some tighter definitions that you could put around it, but I'll start by example and narratively how this really began was we started Gitcoin with this idea that open source software was a part of the internet that a lot of people didn't talk about, but tended to be the important backdrop of pretty much every important internet revolution uh, that had come before. You have companies that basically run on open source software, but the developers of that software tend to be underfunded, 
perhaps the software itself is maintained by one or two people. And there are hundreds and hundreds of instances of this type of thing happening in, in the history of the internet. Um, for a long time, the open source community was kind of considered this gift economy where the thought was from the hackers that were working on the software that look like this is for the public's benefit. We know that this software is going to be important. We know that it has to be open source in order for it to be meaningful. And um, as a result, we're going to put it out in this capacity and kind of see what happens. Some of the important kind of names from that movement include Eric Raymond, you have Richard Stallman, who even predates the open source movement, and then maybe most famously Linus Torvalds, who helped build Linux, uh, which is the largest open source operating system and what powers Android devices. So open source was, was really the starting point because again, we saw Ethereum and Bitcoin, which were these open source networks, which finally seemed to have a financial layer built in where it didn't seem as though the Ethereum foundation or the Bitcoin foundation necessarily would have as many financial issues as previous open source foundations or previous groups of people that were building things in this public context. So that was the key interesting point that we were trying to dive deep on was, is it going to be more possible to build open source software as your full-time job? Or is it going to continue to be the case that if you're a software engineer who's really, really great, you have to go work for something like an Instagram or a Google or a Facebook because the open source alternatives just aren't financially viable alternatives. And over the last two or three years, we've seen that happen in, in great effect, right? Lots of people have found jobs in crypto and Web3 working for open source protocols and companies that are working on open source protocols so that the ecosystem can kind of grow in the way that, that, it, that it needs to. And that alternative has now become an incredibly viable one to any software engineer around the world. But that's where the story got further kind of like down the rabbit hole because it was clear that open source software is an example of one of these public goods, uh, but the public right, goods right. go much broader than, than open source. You specifically brought up climate as I think an interesting place to go next, which is that our climate and clean air is the kind of quintessential public good, the ability to take a deep breath in enjoy that breath and exhale it without worrying about putting toxins in your body is something that is not anything that you would want to take from anyone. And this became clear that it could be a part of the story of what is possible with these open source crypto networks. And it's still early days, but the regenerative finance movement and other elements of Web3 have broaden the initiatives of Gitcoin beyond just open source software to include other initiatives that fund public goods in a global permissionless fashion. Yeah, no, it's it's been, uh, it's funny because it's exactly the same kind of, uh, I've never heard, but it's the same story for creators and, and the creator economy where big corporation own IPs and own um the fictional universes and and sort of leverage it against each other and and this became also can I create open I you know can I create fictional art or fictional worlds and and exactly the same thing then for software developer uh, 
you know participate to a complete different uh, economy. So it's just a, a really uh, interesting to hear. And I just and I also want to say to people that Kernel has a very strong cultural kind of wing uh, of in game and fiction, um, not just um, finance and software. Yeah, if I could, I mean, I'm so glad that you brought that up. There's a module in Kernel um, called Listening and Stories, um, which is one of my favorites and one that I think Adrian and I have, have maybe gotten to spend some time with. And it's it's one of these things that is is so interesting about what's happening in the open source and Web3 movement is that it's clear that, that stories have a large part to play in this journey. Um, the narratives around why corporations have become a very important part of our culture has a lot to do with, with storytelling, right? The, the nature of the stories that we tell ourselves around what protections are allowed by these institutions written in laws that enact this kind of like fictional universe that includes shareholders and includes boards of directors and mandates that kind of govern that story of the firm, so to speak. Um, And that is a story that's been a really, really meaningful one to society and has brought us, you know, a, a long way. We have to be really thankful for what that allowed us to do in terms of organizing and coordinating and getting interesting things done and kind of moving the needle on incredible things over the last 250 years. Um, but the question is, like, at a, at a core level, is it time for that narrative to evolve? And that narrative evolving, yes, it has impact on um, open source software. Yes, it has impact potentially on things like climate action. Uh, but it clearly also has a, an impact on creation in general. And that creation and the importance of stories, the importance of great narrative and great fiction has perhaps never been as important as it is today because it's a time where the narratives that we create are um, things that we can instantiate with greater flexibility perhaps than definitely any previous generation of the internet. Uh, But perhaps, um, you know, if we're talking about the nature of the firm changing and the nature of the corporation changing towards something that's a bit more in between public and private ownership, um, like that, that means that the way narratives can be shaped is, is really changing. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking about this today and it's still a thought in process, so a working in progress uh, concept, but I was thinking about uh, fictional character, or fictional world be- being able to actually become real and turn fiction into reality. Um, if we think about DAOs, and I'm not going to go too much detail what DAOs are, but if we think about communities as small nations with their own budgets, their own treasury, their own... Uh, organizations nothing prevents us to make those organizations come from fictional worlds and and actually sort of act as meta characters in them and characters that can also travel in other communities and other places uh so that's the sort of idea that i'm uh, i've been thinking about lately a lot about um how do we integrate 
how do we make the fictional world a rapper this time and not a product that you go to to entertain yourself but something you can live with on a daily basis and even decide to participate in seasonally or not but um you know that's completely integrated in in your identity in in your identities because you would have several uh in your daily lives yeah 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 i i agree a lot with that and i want to maybe touch a bit more on this word fiction because it's a word that um for storytellers probably holds a a place that's kind of near and dear to one's heart uh but maybe for people who come from more of a finance background or or have been raised more on the non-fiction books and those bookshelves um it it can feel like this term that's fantastical uh that that is like a whole different universe but one of the things that we put forth with this idea of when when talking about the firm specifically is that the firm is a legal fiction um and right. fiction in this case is not necessarily you know a it's not a value judgment on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for something to be fiction but it's just the reality that the fiction that the firm has created is the backdrop for so much of how we organize our companies and the structures that then uh, are possible based on how the firm is set up and so one of the coolest things about you bringing up the idea of fictional universes and rules that can operate within those universes is that we've been doing this um and it's been a part of the story whether we consciously believe it or not that we've been believing particular fictions that allow us to come to coherent understandings of what society works uh, how society works and that now we are at a point where some shifts are are more possible in choosing which universes and stories we want to be a part of and and yeah it's it's worth thinking on and this is definitely a big part of kernel is is trying to question these things and understand that this power doesn't necessarily come without its own sets of risks but it's it's definitely true that we have more agency over the narratives around our lives and and we we have to choose what we want to do with that um i'm reading like this totally i'm you know i'm i'm silent and everything but i'm i'm like totally resonating with this i'm reading this book called the dawn of everything uh not sure if you have read it but i think that could make it straight to the kernel library um but it's exactly that this idea that we've been stuck for so long with this fiction that we forgot it's a fiction in the first place and it's an attempt to rewrite um the history of our relationship with colonizing america and indigenous thought thinking and and realizing that you know the how things got stuck in the first place uh and it it started there and it's just a fascinating read but we're going to run out of time vivek we have so much to talk well, about well i i have to i have to at least stop here because you've caught us in and it's perfect because the dawn of everything just made it into the syllabus uh david graeber <laughs> was a big part of the syllabus as is um in module 2 a global financial system we explore his previous book debt the first 5000 years and it's something that actually andy and i spent a bit of time going deep in just recently but that module is open source as is the whole syllabus but we reference the dawn of everything and they 
provide a particular sentence that we put into the governance module, which was mutual aid is the basis for individual autonomy. Mutual aid is the basis for individual autonomy. And what this means, and if this conversation perhaps has been broad, like one of the efforts of crypto in a lot of ways is trying to build tools that help us help each other, help us help each other. And these problems tend to be hyper global and hyper local. Our communities not being so strong where we are physically located and our climate being the major problem of the day seem to both rely on this sense of mutual aid that Wengro and Graeber uh, so eloquently talk about. And they are exploring indigenous community, which is such a beautiful way to think about individual communities and connections in hyper-local spaces. Um, but to be able to tie this idea of mutual aid broader to, yeah, like, can we build spaces that, that allow for, for this type of activity to be incentivized? Um, and maybe to compare it uh, would be instead of the profit motive that the firm has built into its narrative, if the narratives of DAOs could be much more about mutual aid, what does that look like? And what does it look like when you take it past ideas of for-profit and non-profit into not even talking about profit at all and just exploring what does it mean to build public goods? Um, and what does it mean to build institutions that are towards that end? This is a different type of narrative. And also what it means to be um, a leader or leadership in that context. Because, you know, in, in, in the legacy world, the leadership is like, okay, well, let's make the shareholder have shares more valuable. Um, but in that context of mutually be benefiting each other in order to have, you know, individual growth or individual path and, and freedom, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a leader? And this is something I really wanted to touch upon with you. I hope you still have a minute because uh, your leadership in Kernel um, and you're a very humble person. So I could see, I, I've seen you watch you trying to be helpful to everybody and meeting every single fellow almost for interviews uh, when you select them. Like you, you've, you go above and beyond and this is why we should be just so grateful to have you now because you have probably thousands of applications to, to look at and people to meet um, and I think your leadership is an example to me of uh, being there and, and facilitating, helping uh, but never you've, I don't think I've ever heard you telling anybody what to do uh, and I don't, somehow Kernel just works just as well and runs just as well as any of the greatest companies. So what's, what's leadership? Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, it's, it's really a joy. I mean, the, this governance module, since we've been talking about it, um, it's, it's one of my favorite ones as I think about this question and try to live it in my own life. Uh, the governance module is uh, a topic that if you do get into Web3, you'll find yourself hearing people talk about quite often. Well, we have these 
things now, these tokens that we have in these token treasuries, whether that's the Dogecoin or the Ethereum coin or the Uniswap coin. And we have to figure out, okay, well, this is for the public. That's great. But how do we use it? How do we operate it? And how do we vote to get things done within this context of decentralization and open source community? And what is it? What should it feel like? And Graeber gives some really, really great ideas. Um, but one person also who we draw from is is Lao Tzu from the Tao Te Ching. And the quote at the beginning of that module, which is tongue in chink, not called governance, but entitled govern yourself, it goes like this. It says, to give no trust is to get no trust. When the work's done right, with no fuss or boasting, ordinary people say, oh, we did it. And it reminds me a lot of something I remember hearing Brit say early days of Titans when we had our first group of 17 and we had to get things together for you know the weekly meetings where he would bring in some big person from the business world or the head of armed forces in Iraq to come to one of our classes. He would say, many hands makes for light work. And if we can just all do our part, um, this whole thing can kind of like go along, not only you know, operationally, but, but enjoyably. And this was one of my realizations of uh, watching Brit move through the world was that it wasn't that Brit was so good at his job that was so interesting. It was that he enjoyed his life so fully. <laughs> it was that he, um, he had found ways to make Titan such an important part of his life, but it fed into his role as one of the important people in the world of finance. And the way he might have done that is, you know, invite these people to come talk to us and to send some of our Titans briefs of important books to these people in finance. And then we would do things at his house for dinner. And so we would get to meet his four children and his wife and his wife, Julia, had become as important of a part of our journey as Brit had. And he was having fun at all of the events and goofing off and making sure that he himself was an embodiment of what he hoped for, for everyone else in Titans. And that is something that I definitely resonate with is this sense that it's really not, you know, my role to necessarily dictate a particular way of being, but rather to try to embody for myself what it is to live an enjoyable life. Um, and this is something that becomes as important in Web3 as anything, because it turns out that while it's really beautiful to be talking about these ideas, it can be quite hectic to work in this new context. You have all these different discords, you have slacks running wild, you have people who are kind of everywhere doing their things. And it's this really like crazy context for somebody who might be used to a more structured existence. And so it's been a really important part of Kernel to us to create a different sense of time for people who are going through Kernel, a sense of time that's like not as rushed and is much more about enjoying the process and enjoying the company of just incredible other people um, who are not so different than oneself, even though they might be strangers to start the program. And if the focus of Kernel would be, you know, the number of people at Kernel that end up at each other's weddings, that might be a more important measure of success than any particular project that gets made. So that has a lot to do with mutual aid. It has a lot to do with how I think about 
an enjoyable space to navigate. And a lot to say about how I hope communities can regain their space within our society, where it's not always the case that that somebody has a space that they, they enjoy being a part of and enjoy be themselves and to be better versions of themselves through their communities. One of the reasons I can't shake off Colonel and then I just keep getting back to it in my head over and over is just because I felt Colonel was a gift to myself. Like it, the time that the Colonel invited me to take to think and reflect put me in a headspace and allowed me to sort of build a vision in a way that I didn't find anywhere else in crypto. And I think that is what keeps me coming back to it and wanting to be still involved uh, over time. And I think this is something really important for any Web3 community or any founder trying to create a Web3 project. Um, thinking about ways their members can have the space to be there for themselves. You know, and despite the crazy discords and slacks and all the craziness that comes with it. I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly. I'm not sure how to. I think that's perfect. I think that's really, really perfect. Um, and thank you. And I'm glad that that's the sensation that has come out because it's like a big part of our hope with Colonel is that beyond all of these technologies that you just mentioned, beyond all of the technologies that are prevalent in the world today, and beyond all of the ones that might be built on Web3, there's this sense that we can reclaim our time as a gift to ourselves, right? I love the way that you put that, that it was a gift to yourself. That's a wonderful thing to hear um, because I think that that's like a really, really beautiful thing. And it's funny, uh, most recently in Colonel Think Pieces, which is a fun Slack channel where people put just articles that make them think um, and might be enjoyable places for other people to think. Andy just put a, a quote, which is literally the last thing that's in there. It says, I hope to demonstrate to my own children a way of being with, with technology which resists the temptation of a self-defeating pursuit of limitlessness and a willingness to receive time as a gift rather than an enemy to be defeated. The willingness to receive time as a gift rather than an enemy to be defeated is something that definitely resonates with me as I've continued to grapple with how technology and time work. Um, and one of the hopes for Web3 and environments like this, communities of care and practice, are that they can get people out of that sense of time. So it's really, really meaningful to hear that um, that you found your way there. It's really cool. Um, I don't know. I think this is maybe the perfect way to end. I haven't asked any of the questions I had prepared. And so technically the interview is not even started. Uh, and you'll have to come back, I guess. Is there anything you can say about Kernel 5? Or is there anything if they're interested in experiencing it? If you are interested, yeah, please do feel free to go to kernel.community uh, at which... Page, you will find the learn track and a bit more on kernel 
the next kernel block, kernel block five is starting in February and it's already kind of set in stone in terms of who's joining for that. But we will do a kernel block six later this year and we will be sure to update the website and when it's done. Uh, maybe uh, another place you could go if you're on Twitter is kernel zero X, which is the place we'll definitely notify people when block six applications open. Sounds great. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, so no worries there. Um, thank you so much, Vivek, for taking the time and sharing your thoughts and, and your wisdom. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That was Vivek Singh, co-founder of Gitcoin and all-around amazing human being. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I put a link to Kernel in the show notes if anyone is interested. I highly recommend it. Uh, lots of stuff happening also on the CryptoZ side of things. Uh, and if you want to hear more or uh, participate in the town halls and the conversations in the community, please join our Discord. Uh, and the link is in the show notes as well. And uh, I look forward to meet you there. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.